1130 here at KRBN on this Thursday, the 18th day of February, which means it's time for midday. Tyler Cavalli along with you as temperatures warming into the 20s across really a good chunk of Nebraska, Kansas, and Northeast Colorado. We'll hear from Jason Jorgensen as uh, day two of state wrestling is uh, underway in Omaha. We'll hear from Bob Broken of Stocks uh, struggling here in the last hour or so. We'll hear more about that. But let's head out to Kearney right now where the Cattlemen's Classic is taking place and our own Susan Littlefield is there. And Susan, sounds like it's been a busy morning so far. It has been a very busy morning. The first ever pen of uh, three bull shows that placed this morning. They had seven pens, some beautiful bulls that went through the ring, and they'll do it again tomorrow as well for the heifers. And, of course, the bull sale will get underway here at noon. So folks are starting to pile in to be able to uh, check out what's happening uh, and maybe purchase a few bulls while they're here. Very good. Well, what's on tap for us here on Midday? Well, Alex will kick everything off at 1219, talking to two UNL sophomores who've used the Angler program to merge their talents and create a musical enterprise. Then at 1245, she'll be on again as researchers at UNL study the impact of what happened in August. Remember that crazy windstorms that Mm -hmm. went through Iowa? Mm -hmm. They'll talk about that. And they're actually doing some really cool research when it comes to improving the silos and the bin designs. And then at 117, I speak to two amazing ladies who are a part of the Aspiring Young Cattlemen program here with the Nebraska Cattlemen's Classic. Uh, Abby Stahlbomber won the champion AYC female show yesterday afternoon, and Lacey Schmidt uh, stood next to her in line, and we find out more from these ladies as these heifers will sell tomorrow But they talk more about the program. All right, very good. And, of course, stop by the booth there at the uh, Cattlemen's Classic oh. as well. Very much so. We are here. Both Beth and I are here. Stop by, get registered for that ATV that we'll be giving away in April, and uh, just say hi. We'd love to see you. All right. Thank you very much, Susan. Appreciate it, and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks. You too. All right. That's Susan Littlefield from the Nebraska Cattlemen's Classic in Kearney. Let's turn things over to Jason, who's in studio with us today, and uh, day two underway, and uh, we'll be uh, state wrestling from Omaha, and we'll have some champions crowned later today. Yeah, we will. They'll go with the championship matches tonight, as classes A and D uh, will run their championship matches tonight, so that's uh, how they're spacing things out and doing this a little different than B and C start tomorrow. You were, uh, you and I were talking uh, off air, and uh, you obviously have been doing reports yesterday and today. You, you kind of like the format. I do, but we're doing it remotely. So I'm sure the guys who are actually down there would rather it be three days instead of four. But in terms of following it, the way we do things here, I I like it. But I I can't see the NSAA doing this in the future because of the extra expense or the sure, extra day of sure. renting and all of the uh, you know employees need to pull that off. But yeah, well, very good. And you said B and C start tomorrow. Yeah, they start tomorrow. Okay. So A and D will wrap up tonight. Some local kids have fared pretty well so far. We'll give you the lowdown on that. Husker men's basketball team dead on arrival last night. No legs, six games, ten days. Can't blame them there as they uh, fell to Maryland. Just as we predicted yesterday yeah. of how the game would that, go. That's last a night. lot. That's a lot to play. It is, uh, but it's what we're in. And you have UNK basketball tonight. New big game for the Loper women tonight, 530 against Central Missouri. All right, very good. Thank you. Let's turn things over to Bob Brogan and Stocks uh, tumbling a little bit. Stocks lower, and a lot of the reason was a poor job market report. Uh, the number of Americans applying for unemployment aid rose last week, and that's uh, more evidence that the uh, virus situation continues to uh, plague things. All right. Thank you very much. Let's now turn things over to Clay Patton. 
time for Regional Ag Weather Update, brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. We're now joined by Paul Perkins here in the studio. And, well, Paul, look at all these 20s <laughs> popping up across pretty much the entire listening area. Yeah, well, who would think that the upper teens to the low 20s would ever feel nice? <laughs> t-shirt weather right exactly. at this point it might be yeah you know i was walking into the station this morning it's like man it's not too bad out you know yeah. and it was mm-hmm. still in the single digits then but um right now we have temperatures in the upper teens to low 20s and a lot of areas saw warmer morning lows this morning than we did yesterday and of course three mornings ago a much mm-hmm. different story a uh, case in point Broken Bow was at 37 below for the state low Monday morning. They're now sitting with a temperature of 20 degrees, wow. nearly 60 degrees warmer in just three days. That's kind of mind-boggling to think about <laughs> it, that drastic of a change. Yeah. And only, yeah, you said three days, basically. I know our cattle producers are liking it a little bit better, yeah. especially if they're calving. I said it earlier, uh, my, my dad and a lot of uh, uh, friends as well. They're basically cheering these temperatures now, not as brutal as what they were. Plus, we're getting some sunshine today. Right. We weren't getting as much sunshine yesterday, a lot more sunshine earlier on today. And already that snow melting because that sun just a little more intense and clearing off any roadways and sidewalks, too. And it sounds like the good news is going to continue warmer weather on the way as well. Pretty much, yeah. Seasonal to above normal over the next several days and also into the long-term forecast. High pressure settling in for today, giving us some milder weather. But still, those temperatures about 20 degrees colder than normal with the mix of sun and clouds. But we will take it. Felt good yesterday. It's going to feel even better for today. Once again, most of our temperatures right now, upper teens to the low 20s. We are as warm as 27 right now in north central Kansas at Smith Center. That ridge of high pressure tomorrow and Saturday will continue our warming trend. Many locations expected to finally get above freezing for this weekend. A fast-moving trough of low pressure could squeeze out a little light snow Saturday night into Sunday morning, but little to no accumulation expected. Nothing like those snow chances that we've seen the previous two weekends, just a minor skiff at best. A rebuilding ridge of high pressure early next week will warm the temperatures to seasonal levels with a decent snow melt underway. Low pressure moves onto the plains by next Thursday. That most likely our next chance of precipitation, but the Long-term not forecast, not really liking uh, too much in the way of precipitation chances. In the long-term forecast, Nebraska and Kansas temperatures likely to be seasonal to slightly warmer than average for Tuesday all the way into the first three days of next month. That better chance of above normal temperatures during the middle part of next week. Slightly below normal precipitation is predicted for Tuesday through March 3rd for Nebraska and Kansas. The better chances of moisture right now look to be to our north. In the regional drop monitor released today, drier conditions starting to let up in Nebraska. After some recent snows, the area for low-stage dryness or abnormal dryness expanded now to include areas along and southeast of a line from West Point to Grand Island. The Nebraska Panhandle, which was an extreme drought, now like most of the state with moderate to severe drought, the area for extreme drought also smaller over southern Nebraska and now includes areas along and south of a line from Grant in Perkins County to Elwood in Gosper County. Kansas improved three percentage points to 43% drought-free. There are no drought concerns along and southeast of a line from Hatchison to McPherson and Liberal. Most areas northwest of that Atchison-McPherson-Liberal line abnormally dry to a moderate drought. Along and northwest of a line from Norton to Oakley and Elkhart remain in severe to extreme drought. Key weather factors in the market include more rain for central Brazil and continued easing of bitter cold in the U.S., 
The Arctic cold in the U.S. will be replaced by more seasonal temperatures over the next week to 10 days. Temperatures near zero may have caused some damage to winter wheat in southern Illinois and Indiana. Southern Plains temperatures also on the increase. Western wheat areas of the Southern Plains, though, remain in drought with no significant moisture relief in sight. Across central and northern Brazil, moderate to heavy rain will continue for the next week creating more delays for soybean harvest and second crop corn planting. Southern areas will see improving field work conditions with drier weather over the next several days. Rain, though, expected to return to southern Brazil early next week before it dries out again. You're talking drought uh, back here in the Kansas-Nebraska uh, region. It's just hard to talk about drought after all the the snow that we got, but also that snow didn't have a lot of moisture, especially as of late. Especially, yeah, exactly, because uh, a lot of that snow did fall here over the last few weeks when it was really cold so it fluffed up real easily yeah it's maybe about eight to ten inches of snow on the ground but probably <laughs> only about a quarter to a half an inch of moisture yes. maybe half an inch at most that's just even more annoying to have all this snow and it's <laughs> basically nothing and it fluffed up when it got cold like mm. that it sure did all right. Well, at least we have one more temperatures on the way. And for a full look at the future forecasts, where can somebody go? Weather page, krvn.com. Watch the Sunrise Report live from the Nebraska Ag Expo on our Facebook page. Catch the program each day of the show, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. The Sunrise Report is brought to you by the Nebraska Ag Expo and Prairie Industries. The Angler Entrepreneurship Journey, celebrating success, embracing failure, and inspiring the entrepreneur inside of you. Uh, you don't know what impact a certain song has on somebody, and they think it's even cooler when they know the person playing. That's the voice of Caden Scow, a sophomore ag economics major from Paxton, Nebraska. Caden is the singing voice in a music duo, along with Trent Marshall, who plays the guitar. Trent is a sophomore ag education major from Burwell, Nebraska. And Trent said just before college two years ago, the two had never met. So we both rushed the same fraternity. I know for, for me, Greek life was definitely not on my radar, and I don't tell a lot of people this, but the, like one of the only reasons I joined in the first place was because it was cheaper to live there than it was to live in the dorms, and obviously I stayed for different reasons, but uh, that's how we uh, met. And Caden said eventually his friends who knew he could sing encouraged him and Trent to connect. People just said there's a guy that can play the guitar in the house, and my friends, I had a lot of friends from home come with me and join AGS too, so they knew I could sing and they heard that, so they kind of got us together like, hey, let's go have a jam session, see how you guys do, and so we start, started playing songs and we'd have rooms full of people at night just playing songs to them and we thought, well, this is kind of fun, maybe we should do something with it. And that's where the Angler program comes in. After a few jam sessions, Caden's singing and Trent's guitar playing provided much more than just jam sessions to audiences across the state. You know, after we started playing and after we started, you know, we just called them jam sessions and that's that's really all it was. It was just like, hey, do you know this song? Yeah, all right, let's try it. And, you know, if it worked, great. And so basically what we've done with that is we've just compiled a list of songs that we do covers of and we, we play. And uh, we found a, a pretty big demand for affordable but quality entertainment and that's something that we pride ourselves on you know through posting videos online and you know just word of mouth but we just basically play gigs and provide entertainment for venue owners or you know just people that have events that they want entertainment for yeah just pretty much anybody who'd get a hold of us uh, we played for my dad's birthday party we played for bars back home and that's kind of a weird timing because with covid and everything we kind of had to slow down kind of just getting started and then we kind of hit a stopping point but we're still trying. Caden and Trent don't have a name for their music duo yet, but that doesn't take away from their natural talent. 
Here's their cover of Red Dirt Road by Brooks and Dunn and Cody Johnson. Well, I was raised off on Rural Route 3 Out past where the blacktop ends We'd walk to church on Sunday morning And race barefoot back to Johnson's fence That's where I first saw Mary On the roadside picking blackberries that summer I turned a corner in my soul down that red dirt road. Driving home tonight feels like I found a long lost friend. It's where I drank my first beer. It's where I found Jesus. Where I my first car I tore it all to pieces I learned the path to heaven It's full of sinners and believers Learned that happiness on earth Ain't just for high achievers I've learned that I come and know There's life at both ends Of that red dirt Learn more about Caden Scow, Trent Marshall, and the Angler Agribusiness Entrepreneurship Program at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln at angler.unl.edu. It's time for Midday Sports. Jason Jorgensen has stepped in, and uh, things are getting uh, pretty juicy there in Omaha as the state high school wrestling tournament is still underway. That's right. Third and fifth place matches taking place, in, taking place in Class A right now. Millard South with a big lead, 199.5 points. North Platts had a good morning. They're in second place with 122. Grand Island is sitting third. Kearney is fifth. Now, Class D, uh, they will resume things at one. The finals of both classes are set for tonight at seven. Classes B and C start tomorrow. Well, the Huskers certainly had tired legs last night. It was their sixth game in 10 days. Made a late comeback to make respectable, but they eventually fell to Maryland 79-71. to Nebraska is back in action on Saturday when they will take on Purdue at 4.30. Now, folks brought up the, the question, Tyler. Maryland, who all, I shouldn't say Maryland, Michigan, who also missed a bunch of time. The Big Ten hasn't made them play a bunch of games in a row, but they did that with Nebraska. Well, I also have to wonder if... It, it, Part of the scheduling is they're already going out east. You know, if you're already in Maryland, you have to play them twice. Just stay there an extra night. So, in terms of scheduling, maybe that works out. And I don't know what Michigan's schedule looks like going forward. If they're kind of sporadic games, then does it make sense? I don't know. I, I don't know either. But it's uh, not like it would make a difference for Nebraska whether they had a week off in no, between each it, game. No, it, it wouldn't. <laughs> Tonight in Kearney, the UNK women and men are back at home against Central Missouri. The women's game is a big one. Matchup features two teams ranked in the top 20. Head coach Carrie Amy says it's great to be in the mix for a potential conference title this late in the season. I mean, I think it shows the growth and maturity of our team, and, and um, you know, it's it's taken some years for them to to kind of realize and understand just how 
you know, challenging this conference is, uh, just in the sense of how consistent you actually have to be. In. UNK, Central Missouri, and Fort Hay State are all tied atop the conference standings at 16-2 and with four games to play. Central Missouri, after they play the Lopers tonight, then they play at Hayes on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Tip-off tonight is set for 5.30 with the men's game at 7.30. You can hear those games on 93.1 The River, 106.9 at Kearney. If you'd like to go, tickets are available. You have to purchase those ahead of time, though, at LoperTickets.com. And how many people can go? 1,200. Okay. 25% capacity. Okay. Okay. And they have not been close to 1,200 even since they started allowing people in again. We'll get out there and support the Lopers. That should be a great game. Of course, UNK was able to beat Central Missouri earlier this year for the first time ever in Warrensburg. Mm-hmm. So the Jennies probably come in mm-hmm. looking for some redemption tonight. And we will have high school basketball action for you tonight here on 880 KRVN. The C-111 girls sub should be a good one between Gothenburg and Chase County. Tip-off of that one is set for 630. The venerable Scott Foster will mm-hmm. have the call here on the 50,000-watt blowtorch of the Plains. Don't forget, if you're a Chase County fan, you can pick us up. That's right. Tonight should be, as well. Should be blowing in tonight when it turns dark. <laughs> All right, very good. Thank you very much. The Viero Center and 93.1 The River present Parker McCall. It's Red Dirt on the River, Friday, March 12th. What does that say about me? One of the hottest names in country music is declaring 2021 open for business. Parker McCollum at Red Dirt on the River, 7, March 12th in Carney. VIP pit and general admission tickets are on sale now at CarneyEvents.net. Nebraska Public Power District is asking power customers around the state to be wary of scammers trying to take advantage of the recent winter weather and power outages. These predatory individuals will call and state the customer's bill must be paid immediately or the power will be shut off and will recommend several methods of payment. They may also indicate that immediate payment will keep someone from being included in emergent rotating outages. Sometimes the scammer's caller identification is falsified, so it appears to originate from the utility company, a practice known as spoofing. MPPD as a business practice does not call to ask customers for a credit card number, MPPD does not demand payment with a prepaid card. Any customer receiving such a call should not attempt to make payment over the phone using a credit card or debit card. Write down the callback number or consider asking where the caller is located. Contact law enforcement. Some coronavirus vaccination events have been canceled across Nebraska because winter weather delayed vaccine shipments. Health officials in Beatrice and Hastings canceled vaccination appointments that were scheduled for this week. The West Central District Health Department in North Platte said it has enough vaccine on hand for the appointments it has scheduled this week, but it may have to delay next week's vaccination clinics because of shipment delays. The state estimated that 6.5% of Nebraska's population has now received both required doses of the vaccine. Nebraska has distributed roughly 74% of the vaccine doses it has received. An acting U.S. attorney for Nebraska has been named following the resignation of Joe Kelly from the Post. The Justice Department says in a news release that a first assistant U.S. attorney Jan Sharp 
will serve as acting U.S. attorney for the state when Kelly officially leaves the post on February 28th. Kelly submitted his resignation earlier this month when he and other U.S. attorneys across the country were asked by President Joe Biden's administration to step down by the end of the month. Sharp's appointment takes effect on March 1st. He will serve as the acting U.S. attorney until a successor for the permanent position is appointed by the president and confirmed by the Senate. Finally, Kozak Community Schools Board of Education selected their next superintendent as Angela Simpson. Simpson comes to Kozak after serving as district administrator for three years as the superintendent of Loop City Public Schools and two years as the director of student services at Springfield Platteview Community Schools. She has served as a principal for eight years in Springfield Platteview and eight years as an assistant principal in the Norfolk Public Schools. She spent six years teaching mathematics, science, and coaching in the Millard and Lincoln Public Schools. School Board President Michelle Sermon says the COZAB Board of Education is very pleased with the response they had for the superintendent position. We all felt Angela Simpson was a perfect fit moving forward for our district. Ron Wymore has been a true blessing coming out of retirement to assist us the last two years. The board is confident we have great administrators, teachers, and staff in place to move our district into the future. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Ellen Simmons. A Husker researcher is studying the derecho with an impact towards improving silo design. I'm Alex Wojcicki reporting on the Rural Radio Network, and today we're joined on the phone by Christine Wittick. She's an assistant professor of civil and environmental engineering at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Christine, tell us a little bit more about your research. Absolutely. So as as many of you um, probably recall, in August of this past year, a very significant windstorm occurred kind of beginning in Nebraska sweeping across Iowa and continuing on across a number of states. After this event, you know, local news, there had been a lot of observations of very significant structural damage because of the landscape of a lot of the region that that the wind was blowing through. There was a lot of damage to agricultural structures, particularly to grain bins. Upon seeing this type of damage, um, you know, structural engineers like myself typically want to get out into the field to learn as much as we possibly can about the type of damage that we're seeing. A real motivation for this is you know, we can design structures, you know, accounting for all of our, our knowledge about structural engineering, material performance, and, and the hazards, but there's so much uncertainty in what we do, and it's also really not feasible to conduct experimentation on this in our labs, right? Maybe you could acquire one specimen and and test it, replicating conditions as much as you can, but you're still not able to really replicate what's going on in the field. And so after these types of events, we'd like to utilize the fact that real structures have been subjected to, to real hazards to be able to understand what happened given the criteria or the specific design, the specific situation of each structure so that we can hopefully have ourselves in a better situation should these types of hazards happen again. Does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. So walk us, you made a good point. Um, This can't be replicated. So walk us through the process of what you're doing then to study these structural designs and ultimately improve them. Absolutely. 
So, and this is, uh, basically we refer to it as reconnaissance. Um, and structural engineers, after all different types of, of hazards, not just windstorms, but hurricanes, earthquakes, um, we go out to the field and we conduct what we call reconnaissance. So what I did and what my team did uh, following the derecho event was we kind of mobilized, get ourselves out into the field. Now we didn't want to do this on a purely ad hoc basis um, because there are so many different structures um, that have been impacted. And so to try to do this in a lar a, as much as we can an unbiased approach, we targeted specific communities, if you will, or, or regions between communities. And these regions were selected to be from a cross-section of the anticipated wind speeds so that we would get some sections that, are, that, that were anticipated to have been subjected to very high winds and some that were subjected to maybe low or moderate winds. Within these regions, there's still a very large number of structures that have been impacted. And so rather than focusing only on the very highly damaged situations, we conduct a random assortment. So before actually getting out into that particular region, we've identified specific sites, right? So we can use something like Google Earth to say, there will be structures at this particular site. We don't know their condition yet, but these will be the ones that, that are surveyed. And we do this so that we're not effectively damage hunting and biasing our results. We want to know what worked well as what is what didn't work well and make sure that we can really cover that range. And so that's what we were able to, to do in the field, to take these measurements, to make these observations and this type of documentation. Then what we do is, or what we're currently working on, um, is all of this data processing and kind of suggestion. So we're trying to look for trends, what was different, what was similar, what worked well, what didn't work well. And it's important to note, though, that even if you have two situations, they're still not going to perform in exactly the same fashion. And so what we're trying to do is understand probabilistically or a little bit more statistically how individual structures or how individual criteria associated with their design led to their performance. And that's kind of what we're focused on right now. Once we find what those key trends are in their performance, then we can devise, you know, in concert with, you know, individual companies as well as with individual owners, you know, what are some of the key things that we can do to try to mitigate this type of behavior? But before we get to that point, we just want to make sure that what we're doing is really respective of the overall performance and not just of one specific structure to make sure that we can really extend upon it. Much, much longer term um, would be trying to actually verify that what we design will help out. And that would either be through scaled testing um, and potentially even implementing it on a couple of structures, you know, at a couple of sites um, in anticipation that eventually there will be a high wind and we would have some sort of realistic validation um, of the mechanism. All right, Christine. Well, as we round out this conversation, is there anything else that's important to mention about your research? Um, so one thing that is, you know, we're hoping to, to further work on is not just the performance of an individual bin, but understanding the impact that in a single bin failure or even a partial failure can have 
on an individual farm as a business. So we're hoping to um, begin some collaborations and some studies more with agricultural economists and, and social scientists and really understand the disaster resilience in agricultural and rural areas. All right. Thanks so much, Christine. That again is Dr. Christine Wittick joining us. She's an assistant professor of civil and environmental engineering at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, studying the derecho's impact in improving silo design. Broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Time for the Midday Business Report. Bob Broken has stepped in, and Bob, how are stocks looking this afternoon? They are lower on Wall Street as the uh, latest poor report on the job market kind of discouraged investors. Dow component Walmart slumped after reporting weaker results than analysts were expecting. Bond yields continue to climb as expectations of a post-pandemic recovery also have resurrected concerns over inflation that could prompt governments and central banks to pull back on stimulus down the road. The yield on the 10-year U.S. Treasury note rose to 1.31%, nearly double where it was last fall. It's now trading at levels seen before the March 2020 pandemic shutdowns. The number of Americans applying for unemployment aid rose last week to 861,000, evidence that layoffs remain high despite a steady drop in confirmed coronavirus infections. The Labor Department says applications from laid-off workers rose by 13,000 from the previous week. Before the virus took hold in the U.S. last March, weekly applications for unemployment benefits had never topped 700,000. U.S. home construction fell 6% in January, but applications for building permits rose sharply. The Commerce Department says the January decline pushed home and apartment construction down to a seasonally adjusted rate of 1.58 million units compared to 1.68 million units in December. Walmart is raising wages for 425,000 of its workers and is investing $14 billion to speed up its distribution network as the nation's largest retailer looks to keep pace with the changes in retail accelerated by the pandemic. That's a check of the business news. I'm Bob Brogan. crisis. The CARES Act last year had $360 billion for unemployment benefits, and the Labor Department estimates as much as 10% of that could have been subject to fraud, scammers filing for unemployment, potentially using someone else's identity. Listen here to Maine Senator Susan Collins describe the problem. What we saw were these criminal enterprises ruthlessly exploiting gaps in systems in states all over the country. Unemployment benefits are taxable, meaning if someone filed in your name, you could have an unexpected tax headache. The IRS is trying to get ahead of this. They're telling victims in part, quote, taxpayers who receive an incorrect form 1099-G for unemployment benefits they did not receive should contact the issuing state agency to request a revised form 1099-G showing they did not receive those benefits. Blake Berman, Fox News. Coronavirus. The excitement continues to build around the aspiring young cattlemen here at the Nebraska Cattlemen's Classic. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. 
Yesterday, 12 aspiring AYC members entered the show ring with their heifers, hoping to win that championship. And it was won by Abby Stahlbaumer. She worked with Bear Mountain Angus, and she talked to me about this heifer. Right, so she is a titanic daughter out of a full-power cow. She's bred to Bear Mountain Mark II, due to calve any time here kind of up, coming up soon because she was pasture-exposed. So we're really excited about that. What do you like about her? Everything about her. She's <laughs> really, I just love her. She's super kind most of the time. Yesterday she was a little angry because she was up for so long. But she's super nice, and her disposition was great, as I said. And her genetics are awesome. And she's really just all around a good cow. So what was your reaction yesterday afternoon, the inspiring young cattlemen, you guys, a great program you've been involved in all year, but what was your reaction when the judge walked over and, and slapped her on the rump? I was really excited, obviously, at first, and then just all the hard work we put into her over the year and everything just finally was worth it, and it was just a great time. Tell me what you learned from Bear Mountain Angus over this last year. Oh, I learned so much. So I learned a lot about like genetics and like the Angus breed overall. And then I also learned a lot about like the sale process and the picture taking and everything that goes into that. We want to mention that she is going to sell tomorrow afternoon. Um, I understand you guys are towards the end of the sale, but buyers need to be in the seat at noon to maybe take her home. That's exactly. So the sale starts at noon and the AYC calves sell after all of the to other breeds and then she'll be the first AYC calf to sell I'm pretty sure so be sure to be there because she'll she'll be a good one to take home if you had the option to keep her would you oh definitely yeah well I think we're going to try to buy her back but who knows <laughs> yep, exactly what would be your biggest takeaway from this program just all the stuff I learned throughout the year and like Brian at Bear Mountain Angus he was great to work with and he taught me a whole lot so I definitely think all the knowledge I brought back will be great Another AYC member, Lacey Schmidt, worked with Gilbertson Cattle Company. I have a purebred Angus heifer that I got partnered up with Stuart Gilbertson out of Gilbertson Cattle Co. And she is bred to SAV Rainfall due March 15, 2021. This program, you have to interview for it, and then you get selected. Then you get matched with the breeder. You have no idea who. And we get a heifer. We are in charge of making sure she gets bred into who. And then we just have to raise her to the best of our abilities and bring her up here to show. So what did you like about being involved in this, in this program? I really like getting to know other producers, especially Stuart and Marcy. They have really just helped guide me through this process. You have cattle at home as well. Yes, I do. So what did you learn in the process with this heifer that you might be able to transfer over to the heifers and cattle you have at your operation? I love the genetics we use for this heifer through SAV Rainfall, who she is bred to. I think I'll definitely implement that bull in my herd at home. Are you hoping to get it, to bring her back home? Yeah, we are definitely interested, but who knows? We're, we're really just focused on marketing it and get the highest dollar for her. Both Abby and Lacey encouraged youth that want to get involved in aspiring young cattlemen to look for the application process for next year. The 12 heifers are set to sell following the sale of the heifers that showed on Wednesday here at the Nebraska Cattlemen's Classic. I'm Susan Littlefield, the Rural Radio Network.
Clay Patton on the World Radio Network as we check in with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zhang Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter this week in grain. John, as the closing grain or the grain settlements rather come across, we get out Ag Forum data here today starting out with acreage, but more of it coming through. What's the latest that you make of it? Bullish really across the books, in my opinion. Not just on the acreage side, they're projecting demand to go up a little bit more next year. And we're at record demand already global for uh, for uh, the major crops. So uh, the numbers we got this morning, 92 million for, for uh, corn, which, you know, I think it's right where where folks were estimating we would, we would start. Uh, I think it's a long way to get there, especially given the price we still have. But uh, I think the bullish cards kind of come from the other, other markets like soybean meal. I'm sorry, soybeans, uh, they only had 90 million only. Obviously, we're up. You're going to get a headline that's going to say, hey, we have all this production coming online year over year, but it's still not enough. You know, and we've, we're going to pencil all this trend yield on top of that. And even then, you're going to have carryovers that are much bigger than a year, year over year. So you, you've been with this, uh, this ride before. You know how the summers go. It's not so much about where we end up. It's about how we feel along the way. And, maybe things are just going to be go swimmingly and everybody plants on time and grows on time and harvests on time. But uh, my, my, the gambler in me would say, that um, you know, we've got, we've got issues that'll pop up here and there that are unforeseen. And if you're looking at, you know, sub 5% trend yields, you're going to be a problem there too. And then it comes back to the comments made after the official presentation this morning in Ag Forum, but then we saw the USDA officials making comments about possible soybean imports. Do you see that impacting anything? Does that tell the trade anything? From, from where? That's the question. Like where are you? It would be great to import. I imagine other countries would love to do it as well, but I don't, I don't quite understand where they're going to come from. In the case of corn, I mean, you're not even seeing Brazil export corn right now. They're, they're needing it for themselves. You have a Chinese hog herd that was talked about. It's still half of what it was in 2012. So the, the rush is on for feed grains. Now, ethanol is another story, and certainly the the um, you know the residual in this country will matter. But I think as we get into the, the crop year, it doesn't, you know, it's about one, we have bad bad jobs data today. So you take it from there. What is the Fed going to do? They're not, they're, they basically said this week they're not cutting rates or raising rates until the jobs numbers change. They're going to disregard CPI in the near term which is going to give these funds a green light to buy things. And if there's a, there's a problem with scarcity somewhere, they're going to attack those markets. And I think you've seen it a little bit in hogs starting this summer already. I think the grains and the fold crop we've seen, it, but I don't think those new crops have, have really reflected that yet, both in wheat and in new crop corn and, and soybeans. That is John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing. You learn more at danielzagmarketing.com. Do remember, though, training futures and options involve risk of loss. It may not be suitable for all investors. All right, thank you very much, Clay. That'll wrap up this Thursday edition of Midday. If you missed anything, you can listen to our Midday podcast, sponsored by Devenny Motors at krvn.com.